Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We have a dream this year at Northside. We said it last week. The dream is, what if there were no unemployed Christians in the church? That is, what if we could become the sort of church where, aside from those that need to rest up and heal, every member was involved in serving other people? Man, can you imagine what that would look like? And that was the bigger picture that we were starting to discover last week, that there is a bigger picture, that when you turn up to church, there is no such thing as turning up. <laughs> that whenever two or three are gathered, remember First Peter, Peter says that you are like living stones, you are being built up into a spiritual house. It means that the, the bigger picture is this morning, no matter how how grumbly you felt in the car, no matter how much it took you to get out of the bed, no matter how much the body is hurting, no matter how much you think that you might need to do this, no matter what it took to get here, that when you and I gather like this, that we are gathering together and that Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 4 says, has ascended to the right hand of the Father and the very power of God is flowing from heaven through us, amongst us, out into the world. There is no just turning up. We're part of a bigger picture. We're part of a bigger picture. And not only that, getting practical, you will have 525,600 minutes this year. You've already chewed up a few of them. We're in February already. And each one of those minutes accumulated will, will reveal to yourself and to the world around you what your loves, what your passions, what your priorities are. And the question for you will be this year is how many of those minutes will be spent serving other people? Because it hit me when uh, just hearing Loretta uh, read through the passage again. It, it hit, hit me the way that fortuitously these two passages, week one and week two of this series, has stitched together. The passage from last week, Peter finishes off saying, you were not a people, now you are a people. You, once you did not have mercy, now you have received mercy. That's how we finished the Bible reading last week. And this week we read from Romans 12, Therefore I urge you in brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. It's like we've collaborated here. Therefore in view of God's mercy, do this. And so in other words, what we're going to look at now for the next 20 minutes what it will say to you is that if it will say, if you get the bigger picture, if that is clear to you, then you will live like this. As what? A living sacrifice. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, how, how do I piece all that together? Most importantly, here's the question that most people want to know. I, I get the bigger picture, Sam. Now the question is, how do I know what my piece is in the bigger picture? How do I know how I fit into the bigger picture? How do I know what I do? What is my part? How do I work that out? Allow me to keep the mosaic analogy going this week, the image of the mosaic this week, because that is the series mosaic. Here's the first thing that you need to recognize when you're discerning your piece in a bigger picture. The first one is that every tile is different. We said last week, in a mosaic, there's big tiles, there's small tiles, there's brown tiles, there's blue tiles, there's smooth tiles, there's jagged tiles. Every tile is different. And that is exactly what Paul was getting at in Romans 12, where he says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace that each one has been given by God. Every, every one of us is different. 
Ephesians 2 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he has prepared in advance for you to do. God's workmanship, the Greek word there is his poema. It means his artwork, his craftsmanship, his piece of poetry. You, in other words, God has uniquely created you, including your stuff-ups, by the way. He's uniquely created you to minister to other people. And what that means is there's, there's only hands that you can hold. There's only hospital beds that you can go to. There's only conversations you can have. There's only prayers that you can pray. There's only people that you can reach. There's advice that only you can give. We've seen that. I remember uh, watching Hugh James as he was telling us his story about his involvement in divorce care and how it all came to be and and the day that his wife had said that she no longer wanted to continue in the marriage and once he'd moved beyond the grief and the pain of that, little did he know he'd spent 10 years ministering to hundreds of people by the time he's done who have gone through the pain and separation and divorce. You're God's workmanship. You're different. You're unique. God has created you to minister in a way no matter how big or small. Are you catching that? Now, I want to push you on this a little because that, that can't work independently. You need community to do this. And we looked at that last week when we talked about being built up into spiritual stones. But remember last week we said that things and people only find their significance when they are proximate to the context for which they are purposed. In other words, you only find your significance when you're in the right place. And the Bible says that the right place to live out your uniqueness is in community. In fact, you're not going to find that uniqueness if you're not in community. Because is it just me, but do we live in a world that, that says that yeah, you're, you're unique, but you're your own person? You're unique, but you need to discover what that is. You need to find that for yourself. You need to discover that. That you need to know yourself. But I want to push you on this because if you know yourself, and I know that you know yourself, you'll, you'll find if you look deep down that you've got a desperate need to be part of something bigger. A bigger cause, something bigger than your own individual self. Every human needs to live for something bigger than their individual success. And by the way, if, if you don't, then just living for your own desires just shrivels you. You, you don't get bigger, you get smaller. I've been amazed... I've been challenged, I've been inspired, I've been heartbroken for many of the Christians in Syria at the moment. And the stories of the torture that is happening over there, of them, of the persecution that's breaking out, of the beheadings that's breaking out for these people. And it is remarkable that they don't run from their faith, in fact they run towards each other and they run together and they form community and they continue to push on. They live for something bigger. Hey, what's that bigger thing for you this morning? I mean, if prison came along, is there something that you'd be willing to die for? Is there something that you would be willing to be oppressed for? Now, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt us into anything. What, I am, what I'm trying to show us here is that through their example, what I'm saying is that to, to be willing to die or to go to prison or to endure through that persecution and still hold your face says, I believe in something bigger. I, I'm living for something beyond myself. And let's ground this a little bit more. Uh, Robert Bella wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. 
And he said something really important out of it. He said, the reason there's no community left, the reason community is decaying, is simply because community is based on causes that are higher than us. You see, unless you have causes that are higher than you, there is no basis for community. You can't, if, unless you're living for something bigger, there's nothing to unite you in that. And unless you've got that, then there can be no significance and no happiness. Now, I don't know if there's many people in Sydney, apart from Christians, who can talk like that. Who could talk with that passion and that, that resolve and that bigger picture. Because we're all living for our own individual expression. And what Bella's saying is, if you've got nothing higher than your lonely soul, then you're going to be lonely. And ironically, Sarah Berry, in the lifestyle section of the Sydney Morning Herald in October of last year, she said about one third of Australians suffer from the sorrow of loneliness. We're one of the most lonely people in the world. A third of Australians. And she says here, the irony is that just as much as we can be alone without feeling lonely, we can feel lonely even if we're not alone. Superficial connections, looking at our phones instead of each other and living in a largely online world and where functionality and efficiency reign over friendliness and any depth of engagement all mean we can have others around us externally and feel internally isolated. You hearing this, the non-Christian lady? She's saying that it's not the socially inept that are lonely. She's saying it's the socially savvy, even those that are connected feel lonely. Why? Because there's no higher cause and there's no basis for community. And so can, can you see that it's, on one hand you are uniquely gifted by God to serve out a purpose, but you can't serve that out if you're not going to do it in deep, real, authentic, genuine connections. You need community. You need the community of God to work that through. Ah, the irony. Nothing more important than our lonely souls. No, nothing big, nothing to die for. Look, each tile is different, but until you take that difference up into the context of God's purpose community, of Jesus sending his mosaic of people out into the world, that's the bigger picture. Jesus had a problem, a geographical problem, when he went to the Father. He said, I can't reach everyone. But John can, and Jenny can, and James can. What, what, what if I send my people out and what if I send my gifts and my ability and my resources and my power and I can spread them across cultures and across nations and across cities and they can do my work for me? How, how's that for an idea? That's what you're a part of. So you've got to see that you're uniquely different, but you're different for a purpose. So let's get more practical if, uh, if we are purposed uh, to live this service out in community, then what does that look like practically? How do, we, how do we wrestle with that? And we see it here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, here's what Paul's going to get at. Every tile has to be cemented into the bigger picture. So not only is every tile different, but every tile has to be cemented. I use that language deliberately because look at what Paul says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a funny word to mean. What, what does that mean? Um, it's, it's paradoxical. The Greek literally means underneath, offer yourselves up as a living killing 
Offer yourselves up as a living killing, an, an ongoing living killing. Paul is saying sacrifice is done within the Old Testament the way that a lot of other religions work. Jesus has become the final sacrifice. And so therefore you offer yourself up as a living killing each day. Here's what he means here. Only are you doing Christianity right when you give up your right to say, I'm going to choose what I'm going to do. That's what it means to be a living killing. I, I give up my right to say I'm going to choose to do whatever I want to do. And this flies in the face of the culture around us, right? Um, take this as an example. How's this? What about the difference? Go and have a look. Google up the different slogans that the army has used from way back in 1935 compared to 2015. Back in 1935, you probably have, have a, a slogan that says, your country needs you. You know those posters with the big finger? <laughs> your country needs you. You know what it is in 2015? Challenge yourself. <laughs> your country needs you. 2015, challenge yourself. Now, what is that? Is it just me or is how our, our highly individualised society gotten to the army? I mean, before, when you would sign up, basically when it says, we need you, it says, you should get the bigger picture. The, you, your country's under attack. Freedom is at stake here. <laughs> um, liberty is at stake. Everything you love about this, there, there, there is stuff on the line here. And it, it, this is not a matter of your choice, it's your duty. Now you come to this context. It says, come to the army and we might be able to map out a good career path for you. Uh. Hey, could, could it be that our highly individualised society, if it's gotten to the army, do you think this highly individualised society has gotten to the church? I was chatting to one of our ladies in the office. You know, she's been serving us for over 20 years doing the accounts. She turns up at 9 o'clock on the dot. For the 10 years that I've worked here, she's never been late. And we were laughing because we were talking about grandma and the empire and everything we were saying last week. And, and we realised the difference between her generation and a lot of my generation is, is my generation lives up here. We've, we, haven't, we haven't known what it's experienced to be part of a big picture when freedom's on the line. And so as a result, my, my generation have, have nothing to live for. It's all about our choice and how we're going to be fulfilled and self-actualized. <laughs> and yet her generation says, no, we, we got that. That's why we could peel peas, an entire sack of peas, she said, for hours at a time when she's about to walk out the door at four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, here's the thing. If that individualised society has rubbed off on the army, could it have rubbed off on the church? What it, what it means as a Sydney cider is there comes a challenge when you serve in the church to say, oh, you know what, Like I've, I've, I've got calendars and I've got schedules and I've got soirees to get to and I've got appointments and I've got things to do with the family and life is just feeling a little bit full at the moment. And we're going to explore this next week. But to be a living killing, and here's what I want to get at. To being a living killing means it's going to take a bit of sacrifice. It means you're going to have to proactively sit with your calendar and look down as you look into the year and say, what is it in my life that I need to kill off this year? 
in order to serve the people of God and the city of Sydney. That's what it means to be a living killing, is to proactively go into that and say, what do I need to kill off? If, if it was a church poster, a big picture of Jesus, it say, the kingdom needs you. There are people's lives at stake. There are eternal destinies at stake. This is not, if you're a Christian and you get the bigger picture, this is not a matter of self-fulfillment and actualization. This is not a matter of choice. It's your duty to be a living sacrifice. Each of us has to be cemented into that bigger picture. So each of us, though, have been given different, different gifts, we're cemented in, we're proactively being a living killing, looking at the ways in which we prioritise our service in life. Now it comes to the question where people say, well, Sam, I don't know what that is. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. We get, we get caught up in all of this. It says, verse 6, that he's given us gifts to everyone Different gifts, prophesying in accordance with their faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teaching. If it's an encourage, then give encouragement. Here's my favourite one. I'd love to see after the service. If it's giving, then give generously. Anyone got the gift of? Anyone want me to pray for the gift of generosity after the service? <laughs> the point is diff- different gifts, different enablings, different resources from from Jesus. Here's the thing. How do I find out what that is? We've talked about this before because we use a grid here at Northside that makes it real simple when you want to know how to serve. You find the sweet spot between affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity. What gets you out of bed of a morning without an alarm clock? What gets you excited? What are you passionate about? Ability. Is there an intersection between what you are passionate about and what God has naturally gifted you with? Are there things that you do that just flow naturally? Just is serving people, sitting with people, does it just flow from who you are? Administration, does it just flow from who you are? And then the last piece in all of that is opportunity. You ask, Lord, what are you opening up to me at the moment? Where where is all of this possible? How could I step into that? Uh, Now, you want a practical example? Chuck Lamb, that is his name, by the way. Chuck Lamb, 47, age 47. He was the dead body guy. I think I've shared about him before. Uh, basically, he, was, he, he wanted to be in movies when he grew up. And so he thought he would never have the skills and the talents, the ability piece to be an actor. So he thought he'd just be really good at playing dead people. And so within an, a year of him starting his website, of him in various poses of being dead, he'd racked up over one million hits to his website. And so when they asked him why the heck he would do this, he said, well, yeah, I knew I never had the skills and the talent to be an actor and I've got a couple of kids and so I knew the whole acting gig would just get in the way of being a family. So I, uh, I, I love dressing up, I love doing it and so I thought I would just do it. <laughs> you know what that is? Affinity, ability, opportunity. <laughs> Simple grid, maybe that you're thinking through now. You, you become part of the bigger picture when you find that sweet spot. John Eldridge says this, don't ask what the world needs. He says, ask yourself what makes you fully alive. Because what the world desperately needs are people who've become fully alive. What gets you out of bed of a morning without an alarm clock? Go and do it. Look, forget Chuck Lamb. Let's talk about some Northsiders. Talking talking to one of our older ladies in the lift as she was heading last week. She said, Sam, you know what? I've I've been doing BSF for years. And I'm... I really feel that God's calling me to 
try and start a Bible study in the retirement village. Affinity, ability, opportunity. One of our elders, Belinda Ramirez, we're going to chat to her next week about what this means. Belinda and Joel, they're about in a couple of weeks' time to go and embark on creating a photo book that is going to highlight the epidemic that is human sex trafficking in the Philippines. We didn't have a ministry for that. That's not in the booklets that you would have sat on or already read through before. We don't have that. Because part of what we have here is just a small piece of the bigger picture. We're more concerned about as, as a leadership and brothers and sisters saying, find what you are passionate about. Does that match with the gift of photography? And is there an opportunity with the, with the various NGOs that have all just mysteriously fallen out of the sky that they could link up with and, and, and go and serve in the Philippines in a couple of weeks? See how that works? Affinity, ability, opportunity. Where do I get started? That's where you get started. How do we get started? How do we find the power for all of that? Let's finish on this this morning. Verse 7. I've been chuckling at this verse when you understand uh, what, it, what, it really, what it really means. It says, uh, sorry, verse, uh, verse 1 again. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship. What the translation really means there is, this is your reasonable worship. This is your reasonable service. This is your logical service. This is the logical thing to do. You know what? This is the part of the sermon where we, we preachers, we've already had the lights down this morning. I want to create a bit of a mood, get you a bit emotional. <laughs> We're heading towards the big finale here. Yeah. Here's the gig this morning. Uh, we're not going to get emotional. We're just going to get logical. This is your true and logical service. You see, you, know, you might be thinking at this, this time in a sermon, in a series like this, oh, Sam, are you just trying to get me to serve? Are you just trying to, you're just trying to stitch, stitch me up so we can do more stuff here? Look, please, the bigger picture... <laughs> And I don't, I don't mean to belittle this, but I hardly think that when Christ was on the cross in the pain and the agony and people were staring at him, that he was hanging there going, Oh, oh Father, I, I hope in a couple of thousand years' time that, that because of this, Jenny's going to sign up for the roster. <laughs> Come on. So much, so, much, so much bigger than that. He's, he's saying, Dad, something is wrong with you and with them. And as their older brother, I just want to get you guys talking together again. And I want them to come back home because they've run away and they're sitting at the end of the driveway. And I hope by this act that, that they will come back in. And you know what? Even if it's everything that I've got, they can have my inheritance. They can come in. They can be with you again. And then maybe, just maybe, Father, by your power and your promise, you, I can be with you. And then they can be with the world. Jesus, Jesus became a, a dead sacrifice so you can become a living sacrifice. You know, as I was thinking this through, I went, that sounds reasonable. That sounds logical. That sounds like a, sounds like a fair deal. Seems entirely reasonable. 
Paul says the role of the leadership of the church is to enable the believers for acts of service so through the hard work of building unity, the outside world may look in and see a community so abounding in love and selflessness and unity and diversity that they look in it and they see this community and they say, there must be a God. He must be real. And there must be something about that Jesus guy. It's entirely reasonable. I look at it this way. I was... Down Monday night, having, having dinner with the kids. We went to AMF bowling. Went and had a game, one of those allig- funny alligator games. You know, the things that you hit with a stupid mallet. And the alligators pop out at you and they make a funny noise. and go, ow, 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 ow. And you've got to hit. Basically, it's a game. You've got to bop these alligators on the head. And, and so we're, we're playing this game. And I've got to pick Zach up because he can't even reach to the alligators. So I've got to pick him up. I'm half holding his hand, bopping alligators as they go. And Adele's doing her thing over there with little hands. Wasn't hitting many alligators, but that's all right. Part of the process. And so anyway, the, the, mach, the machine, all these tickets come out of the machine. Like 16 tickets. You can go and um, claim a prize. And so all these tickets come out of the machine. Zach didn't want the prize. He just won the tickets. Fine with me. <laughs> So we're sitting in the back of the car and, and he's, he's got this roll of tickets. Adele starts losing it. She's screaming the top of her head off. She, she just wants one ticket. So your parents know how this goes. Zach, can you, just, can you just give Adele a ticket? No, it's mine. And then comes the parental reasoning. Buddy, come on. Like, who paid for the game, big fella? No, it's mine. Now, come on, Zachy, you couldn't have bopped the alligators if Daddy had to have picked you up. Daddy just wants you to give your sister a ticket. No, it's mine. Um, come on, come on, mate. This is, come on, you're being unreasonable. I love the way that you're trying to negotiate with a two-year-old. Sense of just, just one, one ticket. I paid for the thing. I drove you down here. We played the game. I'm the one who picked you up and did that. None of this would have happened without me. Can you just give your sister a ticket? No, it's mine. How do you choose to end up in Sydney? How do you choose to end up a Christian? How do you choose to have all the blessings of the community that's around you? Who gave you the brain that you've got? Who gave you the education that you've had? Who gave you the opportunities that have come your way? Who's healed you through the brokenness? Who's taken the stuff-ups and using them for a bigger purpose? It's not that our hearts are in the wrong place. I realised that, like Zach, we are to the Father what Zach is like to me. It's not our hearts and service are in the wrong place. We... We just don't have a clear enough picture as to what the Father has done. And it's only reasonable that he says, I gave this to you. I did that. I gave you the education. I placed you here. The least you can do is give your brother or sister a little bit of service. That's the only reasonable thing to do. Let's pray. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.